Hi everyone, this is International Society of Hypertension Podcast. I'm Associate Professor Francine Marques from Monash University, Australia, and my co-host is Dr. Augusto Montesano from the University of Glasgow, Scotland. Hi everyone, welcome back to our podcast. So today we will continue with our celebration of the ISH Women in Hypertension Research, or this. And we have the pleasure to interview Professor Empar Lord. Uh, Professor Empar Lord has a degree in medicine and surgery from the University of Valencia and is a specialist in pediatrics and nephrology. She's currently the head uh, of the Department of Pediatrics in the University General Hospital Valencia and full professor of pediatrics. Her uh, research has been focused on the pediatric field with an emphasis on primary hypertension, the impact um, of early life in the de on the development of cardiometabolic risk factors, childhood uh, obesity, and the application of new technologies in pediatric care. So Professor Lorb has published a large, num a large number of papers with high clinical re uh, uh, relevance And in recognition of her outstanding work, she has uh, she was granted with several dist dist distinguished awards, including the ISH Honor for Senior Women Researchers offered by the ISH last year. It's such a pleasure to have you here today, Professor Empar, uh, and thank you so much for agreeing with this interview. So we just would like to ask you to tell us a little bit of um, your story and how uh, did you get involved with hypertension research? Uh, good afternoon, everybody. And thank you, Carla, for your very nice introduction. I am from Valencia, Spain, here in the Mediterranean Sea. I have a degree of medicine at the University of Valencia. And I was working in children and adolescents from many years. After my PhD, I spent two years as a research fellow of hypertension at Northwestern University Medical School in Chicago. This was a wonderful time for me. I was working on hypertension, but also I introduced a new point of view in my career, I was working with skin fibroblasts. Culture of skin fibroblasts coming from patients with type 1 diabetes and assessing markers for developing nephropathy. Considering my research on hypertension, uh, it was a priority to be involved in important societies focused on the field. This is the case of the International Society of Hypertension and European Society of Hypertension. I got involved at the beginning, attending two annual meetings and following manuscripts of hypertension in children and adolescents in the official journal, Journal of Hypertension. Afterwards, participating as a reviewer of Journal of Hypertension, as a member of the board. And even more, following statements and guidelines raising the new aspects. This is what I did and now in my position of head of pediatric department here in Valencia at Hospital General, I have opportunities to involve 
early career investigators in our research. That's very nice, Impar. And in addition to your uh, accomplishments as a scientist, like this stellar career that you have, you also participate and you're also very active in international societies. Can you tell us a little bit more like how uh, participation in societies can help you to advance your career or has uh, helped you to advance your career? Yeah. Uh, committees, working groups, task force are important in terms of helping to advance career progress. But no doubt that are time consuming. From my side, I will point out the most relevant aspects that my participation helps me to advance. These are the opportunity to share knowledge with different points of view and the chance working with experts in a multidisciplinary approach. This is a privilege that gives you the opportunity to learn more and faster. On the other hand, the capacity among all members for developing and implementing new initiatives and long-term strategies. Yeah, that's really nice, Professor Empire. Um, so uh, now we would like to ask you uh, some uh, change gears a little bit and then uh, talk a little bit more about mentoring because we all know that in research, uh, mentoring or mentorship plays a, a, a crucial role, right? So uh, if you could uh, define in one word um, mentorship, wh what word would it be? Enriching. Being a mentor allows me not only to share my experience with young fellows, but also to learn from my mentees. I think this is crucial. In both sides, there is a feedback not only from the mentor to the mentee, the feedback, shared experience with young fellows, I think is relevant and imperative if we really want that the science move forward and increase our knowledge. And, and, and that's, that's great. And Empire, do you think mentoring is important? Yes, definitely. Monitoring is crucial for developing the future leaders in the societies and in all the organizations. I think it's very important and crucial. And, and can you tell us if like, uh, was there a moment that you said, no, now, now I really need a mentor or like when in your career did you realize you needed a mentor? Mentoring is useful at all stages of your career. What is the key? The key is to identify the objectives of an effective mentoring program, which can really make a difference to the mentor and mentee. And Empire, when you look back in your mentoring uh, career or like your mentoring style, how you define your mentoring style? I have always tried to give honest and direct feedback. And I would like, if it's possible, to comment one example that for me was very demonstrative. Yeah, of course. About yeah. the ways that I have to help my mentees. 
-huh. It was the case of an engineer. Can you imagine an engineer working in a hospital with doctors and children yeah. that was involving our team at the hospital, helping us to apply new technologies to the patient care? He had two important qualities. He is hard worker and enthusiastic. Then when you identify this, you may need to take the opportunity to push the research to moving to other places to increase the capacity for research. We did, and he got a Marie Curie scholarship. Uh, he expanded two years in a center of high technologies in Ireland. And I think all the Marie Curie opportunity that gave him to be there this was a kind of passport to a successful research career. That's great. That's a great example. Um, and um, <laughs> um, uh, Impar, the other, like, if you could give any advice to uh, any the, the mentees that may uh, that are may listen to us uh, right now. So, uh, what do you think these mentees? What are the the traits? you think a good mentee has? I think it's important this, this point. For me, in my opinion, enthusiasm for learning, reflective listening and empathy, relevant expertise or knowledge. And also I think it's very important a respectful attitude. Definitely, I think yeah. for me the most relevant even when there are much more i think for me i think these are a priority and it is and uh, and in part like the a lot of trainees that listen to our podcast they are in uh, the time of their career or their path let's say that they are trying to identify or trying to uh go to a different lab for a postdoc or even like applying for a phd uh, and sometimes trying to find like, you know, their first appointment as a professor or so on. But for those that are trying to identify a good training environment, what advice would you give to them? Mm -hmm. A proper training environment, from my point of view, will include to define clear the goals, instructions, and appropriate feedback. I think with this is enough to identify. And in part, if you don't mind, like I just want to go back a little bit like uh, to your story, because you mentioned that you uh, did part of your training in Chicago. Uh, how was that experience for you, like be changing from Spain to Chicago, like the change in culture uh, and traveling abroad? Like how, how was it for you? Like, was it uh, difficult? Was easy like how did you deal with the culture clash or uh how was it if you don't mind uh, sharing with us yes uh, i think that was one excellent experience that i will recommend everybody it is good to go outside of your country to know new cultures new ideas to share knowledge sometimes it's not easy because i am a clinician and I started to work with cultures of uh, skin fibroblasts. 
at the beginning I thought, oh, maybe I'm not able to do this in the right way. But you only need to spend time to be enthusiastic. And finally, you are able to do things that maybe never before you think about that. I have the characteristics that my family come with me to Chicago. And I think it's even better because everybody learn. Uh, I have two children that were 12 and 18 years old. Why not? This was wonderful for them. In fact, both of them are moving now. There are no, they have the capacity to move around. It was like one thing more in the education. You need to be stocked in your country with the facilities of your culture. No, I think, and even more, I think you recognize much more your culture when you are outside of your country. Unless, in my experience, I realized that the light of the Mediterranean Sea, the light of Valencia, some kind of food, some, for me was excellent. And from the scientific point, I think there is uh, one situation before and after my research fellow in uh, Chicago. And then I recommend everybody, go ahead, move, learn and grow and, and it's amazing part that you say as a clinician you went and you learned cell culture like and did mm -hmm. like a bench. can you imagine i yeah, say no. i don't know this and the boss say anyway you are here to learn and finally i was so happy when i come back to spain i introduced the study of culture cells of endothelial and smooth muscle cells from umbilical cord. In fact, I am looking for the impact of early life on the development of cardiometabolic risk factors. Then, it was not only a good experience for the area of clinician, but also I was able to introduce a new research, basic research, the same culture cells, not a skin fibroblast, endothelial, smooth muscle, from artery, from vein umbilical cord. And now we are studying metabolomics. We are studying methylation. Then I think that for me was excellent. If yeah. I recommend everybody, I recommend go, go. You have difficulties, why not? It's true. At the beginning, I had difficulties, but to be honest, for me was, even when I was convinced that I would like to come back to Spain, for me was more difficult when I come back to Spain than when <laughs> I went to stay from Spain, to be honest. <laughs> Absolutely. I totally agree with you, especially because, um, uh, Guto, you are also from Brazil. So we are both from Brazil and um, I went abroad uh, as well, and I think it's a great experience. So um, amazing, amazing. I totally agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Empire, uh, other thing that lots of people uh, still uh, struggle struggle with is like talking to some people that they find uh, intimidating. 
So I just want to ask you if you could um, share with us or sh uh, share with uh, everyone that is listening, uh, listening us uh, right now, how, uh, what do you do or how did you uh, overcome talking to someone, someone that you find intimidating? If you could share with us some tips, some advices, it would be great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> first of all, we should avoid that anybody intimidates us. This is the first. Uh -huh. If not, what I try to do is I try to find common interests which allow me to start conversation. Mm -hmm. Sport and hobby can be a good starting point. But the most important, I think, we should avoid that anybody intimidates us. Yeah, sometimes it's very difficult. And and part like, um, well, we just say like, is it, what what if like people are just shy? Like, because uh, mm -hmm. a lot of people like during conferences, they want to, let's say, talk to you or like uh, established researchers that they are super fans because they're reading the pa their papers, right? But then sometimes they get like, oh my God, like I'm super shy. Like what if the, the professor thinks I'm, uh, I'm stupid or I say something mm -hmm. wrong? Like, um, what would you say to those uh, shy people? Yeah. Uh, I approach them and I say, don't worry. You can learn from me, I can learn from you. And it's it, we can share this. I think we need to be honest and humble. We have previously the situation when we were young, early career investigators. Why not? We now are in the other side of the coin, but not to do the same that we asked for us when we were uh, early career investigators. I don't, and for this, I think that, for this question, I, I'm thinking that maybe it's not my case, but I understand that people are saying, or in other countries in which the culture of women is different and the trade is different. But anyway, I think we need to should avoid that anybody intimidate us. Because if we do the first time for difficult that we, we can try to avoid the second and the first. If not, this is real uh, a rule, not. And if somebody intimidate you, then take care. And do the balance. Really? Do you want to be there? Yeah. Or maybe you have another way to go. You need to take the initiative, not only to be conform with things that happen surrounding you. This is my personal point of view. Yeah, exactly. That's what I say to our people as well. Like, if that person is not going to help you to move forward, they're just going to be backwards. And it's it. You're not there. You're not supposed yeah. to. Don't associate with those people mm -hmm. yet. Yeah. So, but this is Augusto and Carla. This is like in the regular life the same. Yeah. Not only for yeah. this in your regular life. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, I agree. Like in all types mm -hmm. of relationships. Yeah, that's yes. like that. definitely. Yeah. And and one more thing to people that are listening to us: listen to and are never be shy. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Never be shy, people. In yes. So changing a little bit now to diversity and inclusion, which is like big topics in research okay. right now. And I think not only research, but in the entire world. Uh, 
What do you, in your uh, point? Augusto, are you listening when one telephone ring or not? It's okay. Oh, yeah. no, no. Okay, perfect, uh, perfect. Yeah, because I think the, the good thing about microphones, like it has to be really close for us just okay. to hear the, the background. Excellent. You need Excellent. to answer a call. Like we can pause if you want. No, 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 no. It's fine. No, no, no. No more calls. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. my God, for today, use it all. I know, perfect. Just let us know. Like we can pause anytime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. No problem. All right. So um, I'm just going to go back to the apartment. So uh, in okay. part, um, so just changing a little bit to diversity and inclusion, which are huge topics, not only in science, but in our everyday lives mm -hmm. uh, now. Uh, what do you think, in your opinion, is one of like one or two, like, I don't know, what's the biggest issue around diversity and inclusion in science? And how do you think we could change that? I think that this is a very interesting question, I think. The first barrier is not recognizing the existence of barriers. I think it's this the first. If we recognize barriers, the next step will be to find a way to overcome them. And in this way, I would like to point out the case of hypertension in children and adolescents. Even when it is very well recognized that adult hypertension has its roots in the pediatric age, there is a lack of solid trial-based evidence for recommendation on the diagnosis and management of high blood pressure in children and adolescents. In this case, we know the problem and the need. The question is, how did we choose the best instrument for increasing knowledge working together? Then, Years ago, we submit a proposal to the European Commission to the Cost Action Program. To be honest, at the first time that we submit the proposal, we didn't get it. But the reviewers identified what were the key points and give us the opportunity to resubmit the proposal the next year. Next year, we submit the proposal and we get it. And we have now the first period we were working together in the cost action, HyperChina. And now we are in the second grand period and it's expected to be until May 2025. In other words, as a summary of all of this, to overcome barriers, it is important opening new avenues for communication, collaboration, and importantly, for education. Amazing, yeah. Um, and then, Empire, you also mentioned previously, uh, like uh, us as women in, in research, we know we still uh, have some challenges and we are trying, we continue to fight to, to for our place in research, right? So. Then I, I want to ask you if you have uh, any advice for women in hypertension research. Over the last several years, women in hypertension research has gained growth in cardiovascular medicine. This is not that. Mm -hmm. The increasing interest and the large amount of research have been reflected with an increasing number of publications across the years. Mm -hmm. However, although important progress has been achieved in the field, there is still a long way to go. 
but I am optimistic and hope that working together, we will move forward in the field. In this way, the International Society of Hypertension gives women the opportunity to participate in the Women in Hypertension Research Network. This network informs you about recent and upcoming events, about opportunities for grants, jobs and hours, and about interesting science and rules. But I think that to better get to know women working in hypertension research from around the world, and to be free to contact them, as we were talking before, know who are the women working on hypertension around the world and contact them. It is important to have the directional feedback that can help to create connected network that encourage, support, and inspires women in hypertension research. And I think this is the very good feedback, not only from the mentor to mentee, but also from the mentee to mentor. We can learn a lot. And I think the Women in Hypertension Research Network in the International Society of Hypertension is an excellent opportunity to increase women in hypertension research. Really, I think that is very important. Yeah, and also uh, because as, as I mentioned in your introduction, you uh, were uh, awarded with the uh, ISH honor for senior women in research last year. So uh, can you tell us, uh, like, how did you feel? How, how like, um, you can also give us uh, or uh, some nice words or to inspire, inspire, inspire uh, other women to, to participate in this initi initiative? You're, you started saying something about that, but if you could um, tell us, share the experience, how was to receive this award and also um, tell us or invite people to, to nominate more amazing women researchers uh, in hypertension. So it would be great for us to hear some uh, words from you. Uh, for me, uh, from the beginning, I was working in children and adolescents from the beginning. Then this is not an easy field because before, Everybody thought that children only have secondary hypertension and the most frequent was secondary hypertension related to renal diseases. Uh, as pediatric nephrologist, I was aware that I need to work on hypertension. However, afterwards, I realized that was more important, no more important, but more, more frequent now primary hypertension due to the increasing prevalence of obesity. I think my, my recommendation is to be sure that you can do what you want to do. The only thing that you need to know is what is the best way? What are your objectives? What are the places where you can learn and push yourself and go ahead? I think it's the most important because I remember when I started and I was talking about hypertension in children, somebody, um, uh, so me and say this is maybe it's pediatricians are different <laughs> this is really doesn't exist but it's not the way no I think that there is an increasing interest in hypertension in children and adolescents even when there is increasing interest and we know we don't pay the attention that is expected in this very vulnerable population and of course 
I think one message is the inaction is not the solution. Perfect. Thank you so much, Empire. Like, and and it is important for everybody who's listening to listen to what Empire just said. Like, mm -hmm. and we would like to know more about all the women in hypertension research mm -hmm. and all the different fields. And we wanted to get to know you. So please do put yourself forward and come mm -hmm. to participate in the network. So the only way that this network is going to be successful is with everybody joining and uh, putting themselves uh, mm -hmm. forward. Absolutely. So, so just now going to our last uh, question of this uh, interview and then <laughs> you'll be relieved and free from us. <laughs> um, so we are just coming, hopefully, yeah, I hope hopefully. I'm not jinxing it. So we're just Please. coming out. You never this, know. Yeah, like every single time that I think is the end of this COVID pandemic is never the end. There's a new variant and new things. But hopefully we are coming out of it. Uh, but this past two years and a little bit more than two years, mm -hmm. a lot of like ECRs, junior researchers were hit by lab closures, uh, lack of grants or uh, the money was short for many different research groups and all those problems that I think you're well aware of it. Um, or in case of clinician, early career clinician science, they had to go back to the hospitals and off a little bit their research work. So how do you think, or if you have any examples to give us like how you know people that you know uh, did actions to cope or uh, to support these researchers during the pandemic? I agree with you and the literature leaves little room for doubt. Union research are already disproportionately affected by unbed the burden of ongoing pandemic. What is the solution? What are the potential ways to better support early career investigation in this scenario? To create and or maintain a scientific environment that can foster new international opportunities for the early career investigation. For what? to allow research continuing during and post-pandemic. This can be a tool to support junior researchers. And I will uh, give you one example. In the construction HyperChina, due to the pandemic, the short-term scientific missions were canceled. But we create virtual mobilities. To be honest, at the beginning, I was aware about what happened with these virtual mobilities. What can we do? Really, this can substitute at least in part to the short-term scientific missions. The answer now, one year after, yes, at least it's much better face-to-face, -face, no doubt. But this is an alternative. And, uh, the fact is that now we had a meeting, the core group had a meeting in Valencia the last October face-to-face, -face, and we decided to implement virtual mobilities also this second grand period. Maintaining short-term scientific missions face-to-face, -face, but we were convinced that where 
effective, good results. And this was a tool that we are able to use due to the pandemic. Then not only are difficulties, but in front of the difficulties, you need to look for solution and implement. And uh, this is for one example, it's a short example, but in my experience, I think this is an opportunity that we will maintain. And then fortunately the budget for this year was better than the, for the last grand period. And then I think this is the opportunity to expand budget in this kind of activities in early career investigators. And I think we need to have two, two important things in mind. Early career investigators and early ITC countries. Sometimes the career investigators are more common for countries in which there are more sources for funding and for grants. Then don't lose that inclusive target country needs to take into consideration also women. In our hyper net, uh, we are many, many, many women, the leaders of the working groups. We have early career investigators. I think honestly that we need to increase a little bit more. And this is one of the points that we will include in the second grand period. But also we have inclusive target countries. And believe me that we learn a lot because there are different uh, healthcare systems. And this is like always, you can learn, you can adapt some things. And um, I think that we need to be aware of all of these opportunities, not only the difficulties that there is no doubt that there are. And I come a clinician and working with children, for us was very difficult. Children, pregnant women, newborns, many. And, and hopefully this is this uh, will only get better. So fingers crossed for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the other thing um, um, you mentioned in your response, and I think we need to highlight that is the the networking, because we we keep saying that network is really important, especially now uh, with the pandemic. We we need to network. We need to to uh, establish more collaborations and talk to each other because people help each other. So that's that's a very important point you said. Yes. But in part, another amazing amazing thing that I got from your answer too is that like, uh, and you mentioned that like the changes or whatever help that or assistance that we are having mm -hmm. or we had in the pandemic shouldn't finish. Yeah. We should yeah. learn those lessons during mm -hmm. the pandemic and continue to apply post pandemic. Yes. 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 Not only, not only think in the worst part of the pandemic that it's awful but also let's go to think what are the tools that we need to implement how can we overcome these difficulties they, we need time but we never know but at least i think that uh, this is a very important not try to improve everything in good and in bad uh, conditions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We we suffered a lot, but we also learned a lot, uh, and so and we should definitely take advantage of what we learned during this uh, uh, pandemic. 
definitely. Carla, I think we learn a lot and fast. Because yes. Uh-huh. Was was the 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 necessity? Yeah. To learn a lot and fast faster than other. Can you imagine the vaccination? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Empire, I just would like to say a heartfelt thank you. It was amazing having you here. And I think it was uh, amazing, such an honor to be able to talk to you. And I'm sure everyone will enjoy it too. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, And Augusto, Augusto, before finishing, Uh I would like to express my gratitude to the International Society of Hypertension for giving me this prestigious award. Honestly, thank you. I am very proud of this prestigious award. And Empire, know, I know that we are all honored to have you as an awardee. And, oh, yes. uh-huh. and me and Carla, like it's, 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 I don't have words to describe how, how much of a pleasure it was to have you with uh-huh. us today. Yeah. Thank you for listening to our interview. If you'd like more tips on mentoring, subscribe to our podcast for more interviews with senior and emerging leaders. Stay safe, open-minded and kind.